0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Simon Head. This is the Apple Log Podcast. Before we get started, I'd like you to please do me a favor. I'd like you to go rate and review on iTunes, first and foremost. Search out Apple Log Podcast. Rate, review the show. Give it some stars. That would be very helpful. Thank you very much. Also, I'd like you to know about my Patreon campaign, which is a pledging system It's like a subscription kind of idea. It's not like Kickstarter or GoFundMe. It's an idea where you can pledge as little or as much as you want to support the art. Uh, Go to patreon.com slash and get pledging. Also, this podcast is brought to you by fetchclass.com. Fetchclass.com is a teaching and learning system to allow music teachers to teach their students over a secure video conference. Go there, fetchclass.com. Sign up for free. Follow me on Twitter, at SimonHead666. Make sure to like the show on Facebook. And that's all I got to say about announcements. Thank you so much. Today, I have Mr. Rob Moyer. Rob Moyer and I go back way back. Go way back. Gosh, since the early 2000s, late 90s. We met in my studio. We've been friends ever since. I'm going to keep this short because I don't want to babble. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you my friend, Mr. Rob Moore. On the Apolog Podcast. Rob Moyer, oh man, I've known you since you're probably sixteen or seventeen years old.
1: That's right. Yeah, you recorded um, the second, the second recordings, I think, of of my first band.
0: That's at the Ossington and Dundas Studio. What? Where was the first one?
1: That was a uh, Records. Um, I don't know if he really had a real record label, but he had a studio that was in uh, Etobicoke, um, and he lived there, I believe, with his like ancient mother who came down time to time to get really upset about swearing that we were doing.
0: <laughs> and your first band was the stiffs, right? That that was the stiffs. That's correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We made three tapes. I think the, the, the sec, the third one was with you. Oh no, maybe the second one. Was, I can't remember. There was, there was a couple of things we did with you at the, the old studio there.
0: I mean, I'm, I remember when you, you came, you had like one day. To do to do everything And we, we, we got some good drum sounds Took a little longer than normal And then when we got to doing singing Or guitars was it, I can't remember what it was But it was like both of you just get in there and play at the same time We'll figure this mm-hmm. out We'll get we'll figure it figured out mm-hmm. I was just talking to Justin Small actually About that recording space um, Yeah It's closed, it's gone
1: What is it now? It's a bank Oh, <laughs> that's speeding.
0: There yeah. you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I think the grocery store is gone and it's all bank. It's all bank. And you can't even remember like there's the door to get down the hallway is gone. I I drove by there a little while ago and it's the door is is now blocked.
1: Yeah, cuz that's that's one of the things I remember the most about it, it. Had that long corridor to it, that long hallway. And then it wrapped around into, um, I guess it was kind of like a little like green room or something. Mm-hmm. And then there was the the main control room, and there was kind of like the uh, the sort of live room right yeah. next to it. So I do kind of I do remember it pretty regularly. I remember you you did not want anyone eating Kentucky Fried Chicken in it. <laughs> it had a, a lingering smell, and and we thought it was because we were like vegetarian, and so we thought it was okay. We just had the fries in the. <laughs> But you weren't crazy about that either. No,
0: I I had some rules. I had I had rules back then. I had no tambourine rules. <laughs> for some reason, I weren't. And then later on in life, I became like a tambourine expert, and I <laughs> I, I I would play tambourine on every single recording on I everything. could.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean. <clears throat> I mean, but yet you would smoke like two packs of cigarettes. That's true. Ten-hour sessions.
0: Yeah, but no chicken. No chicken allowed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Chicken sandwich. (laughs) Um, No, those were good times, man. I mean, that was like um, we were recording to ADAT, which is kind of. I mean, for those who don't know, I guess you would describe it. They look like VHS, which you don't have to describe as well, but. Um, but yeah, it was sort of like a medium uh, in between analog and digital technology. I think.
0: That's right. They were glorified videotapes. Um, yes. The thing about the, yeah. pro- the problem with them is that they were normal videotapes running through machines that were running the tapes like twice the speed. So there was always like it with the same kind of uh, mechanism that a normal home vhs machine would have yeah so yeah. you can only imagine the troubles that were, were, were how many minutes could you get on one of those tapes i think 42 minutes or something something um,
1: like that did, were there a couple of them that like did they sync up to get more tracks or yep. was it just kind of like okay so
0: you take two of you take one and, <laughs> and it would be like uh it would tell the other one this is where i'm at so uh i ended up mm-hmm. getting three of them so i had 24 tracks of recording at one point yeah, and once I got into computers and stuff, they became basically the the converters. So I could take the analog signal of a microphone and just plop it into a computer, and that's all they did. They never, and then one day, they just stopped turning on, and <laughs> it stopped working. They just well <laughs> worn out their welcome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When
1: do you think, what year was the last year you used that technology?
0: Um, I want to say about 2003. Two thousand three, over 50, okay. over ten years ago, yeah. Oh, that's a
1: long time ago. Yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: uh, when did you start using um com- like were you, when were you using computers? Like, what was the first program you used for recording?
0: Uh, first one I used was Nuendo, and that was in two thousand and three or two. Is when we recorded the first Foursquare album. We got an advance, and I went out and bought a computer. Um, okay. F- from our record label, and we went and purchased like all the gear, um, yeah. The computer and my first actual computer was was now, was a recording computer, yeah.
1: Because I think this is interesting, because I mean you've sort of seen the the changes uh, of recording for, uh, I mean almost uh, you can remember. I'm sure you have probably worked on all of them. Like, oh yeah. I mean, and so um, when you first started using computers, did they did it come naturally to you? Like re- looking at that program.
0: I was sort of messing around a little bit with it before on our like our home computer. So I kind of mm-hmm. had a grasp. But we had... Um, I had Alan Shaw mm-hmm. who was a, a Mac pro who at the time knew how to sort of set up a computer. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I, I was completely... With Macintosh, it was my first Macintosh too. So I, I completely had no idea what I was doing, but I knew how to get sounds. And he was good at... Making the
1: computer work good, so uh, <laughs> we kind of combine forces and sort of taught each other yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah, because I remember he would do like um, mastering. Yeah, he would do. Um, I don't know for recordings that we would do.
0: A lot of underground operations were mastered by um, Alan
1: right now, Alan yeah. Shaw.
0: It's funny. His he still has the same computer he had, which was like considered a supercomputer, like <laughs> you know. And he still uses it for his own little, you know. He he's yeah. got he's out of the game. Yeah, he's living the good life. He's he's living the good life. So you're. You, you you kind of like got out of playing in bands. Like when when did you go solo solo? When did this happen?
1: Um, I remember. So I played in a, in a band called Deadlit Apartment, which was sort of the mainstay in like two thousand three to about two thousand six seven, something like that. That was sort of the one that was the most serious out of. Uh, The kind of high school bands and and post high school bands um and around like 2006 2007 i can't remember when it was but we decided uh at that point gone through a couple member changes and there was a guy who's who's my best friend spencer and he was sort of the last bass player of that like unit and he moved to australia he wanted to do teachers college in australia and he said he was going to go for like nine months and he's he's been there since (laughs) (laughs) i loves it down there and um so that was when uh we decided that um it was you know maybe time to kind of just do something else with uh, that 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 band that name those songs and um and then i did uh in 2008 i just i really like i really wanted to travel more when i was traveling in a band i mean i was i'm kind of like i'm kind of useless when it comes to sort of like driving and um, I was, I felt like at the time I was pretty useless like getting myself around independently without a kind of gang of, you know, pirate thugs that you play in a band with. Yeah. And, um, so I wanted to do some traveling and I, and I did, I did like, um, I don't know, like a little, uh, backpacking trip around Mexico, like real rural Mexico. And, um, and then I bought a bicycle and I did, uh, like I somehow talked to my employer at the time into letting me take like a sabbatical for four months uh, which is like unheard of and in North America. And, uh, and I just flew over and I, I rode a bike for four months around around Europe and um, fell in love with that way of, of traveling and and came back. And I decided I was gonna do a solo project. I didn't want to put a band together. I wanted to start touring almost immediately, DIY, um, go I thought I felt like I could just go anywhere with a guitar and a backpack. And so I put it together a five song EP which is called This Is The Lie. Um, And then about two years after that, um, the record Places To Die came out. And now I have a new record coming out in late August. So around like 2010 is when I started to record it and start playing with a guitar by myself.
0: Yeah, I mean, we got to talk a little bit about this bike touring thing because I I was very in awe about how you put that together because the whole idea of of what you did is pretty out there you know you're kind of actually reliving like the people like old folk artists from like the 1900s that would just get on a back of Mm a a, get on a horse (laughs) you know what I mean and and you're essentially just taking (laughs) off you know and I mean was it was it there had to be some other stuff. The reason why you had to just sort of get out of Canada, or is there was there any other reasons for that?
1: No, no, not really. Like it was, I mean, you kind of have to understand. So when I did a, I did a bike trip in 2008, where I I had a bike and I. um it has like, okay, so how like a, how you travel by bicycle, I mean, not to get too detailed about it, but so you kind of want to get a bike that's going to be more comfortable than fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the racks go on the wheels, and then you put bags on the racks. And that can pretty much carry most of your stuff. I mean, you don't want to take too much anyways, because the more it weighs, the more unpleasant the experience can be sometimes going up the hill. Um so, when I did the first time around, I just fell in love with, with you know, it took, it took me like a month or two to slow down, to mm-hmm. unwind, um, not always wanting to be somewhere the fastest. And when you kind of combine camping and, you know, even going as far as cooking your own meals on the stove, um, you really, you can't do much in a day, but your whole day is consumed by what you're doing. And I just really got into that. Um, well, you have to understand, like, when I was doing these tours by myself, like, I must have done, like, five six seven passes touring Canada touring a bit of new at USA and then UK Europe I must have done like about seven of those tours before I thought okay I, I should maybe try doing it by bike and um, part of the reason too is uh, around that time I think I had been like a year I guess professionally doing it without any other source of income and if you can imagine what a year or such as like constantly playing shows and drinking for free all the time, you start realizing you're doing some heavy damage probably to your body and you kind of need something to balance that. And so that was also a major reason, too, because I wanted to kind of focus a little bit on health, but also I just love the adventure of it, too. I yeah. mean, it's crazy.
0: Definitely that is an adventure of sorts. Like, you – and, and uh, to let the, the whoever's listening know – that you would be setting up shows in houses, in small coffee shops. Um, yeah. Where there were there times you were just showing up to a town and seeing like, oh, you can sniff out where all like the place is, and maybe they come and let you play a few songs? And
1: Not and, really. Yeah. I mean, it was... Um, I, I do get asked that a lot. I mean, I think there's kind of like a romanticism behind sort of just like winging it. Um, I would say like I, I planned that trip which which went um from paris to berlin with a couple days in a uh, a town in northwestern poland called Stettin, which used to be part of germany during the war and they they it aligned borders back to poland I, i'm not the history of it it was explained to me by a lot of people who lived in that town who know a lot about mm-hmm. um the history of that war young people do and anyways um so when i was putting that together um it was no like accident where i kind of picked the rooting i mean if you look at like the terrain of that part of europe i mean it's pretty flat yeah and i kind of needed it to be flat not because i was being lazy about it but just because like you needed to be able to kind of like i need i felt i needed to be able to go between towns in somewhat of an order where i wasn't um I didn't want to spend too much time between playing. I wanted to play often because that was the point of it. And uh, I wanted it to be something that wasn't going to be total agony getting around because um, <clears throat> I'm not sure, like, if is this podcast, like, is it visual or is it just audio? It's just audio, yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, if, again, like, if you can imagine how the bike looked, I mean, it was, um, you know, like I mentioned before with the pennies, the bags on the wheels. But also I had a trailer, a small trailer. I saw
0: that, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which is essentially like um, it's made by Burley. It's like a yellow top and uh, black, uh, black cloth for it's purpose the, made. Yeah. Purpose made. Yeah, it's yeah. not like it's water resistant. It's not totally waterproof, but it was enough that I could have like maybe I don't know what I took like at most I probably had about ninety CDs, about forty LPs, the acoustic guitar in a soft case, and um, and then I had um, I guess my my luggage, you know. Mm. Um, like clothes that I would play in and then clothes I would cycle in and immediately like every day the, you know I would wake up feeling incredible too and you know I just slept like of course baby around midnight once everything was done I was just gone to bed Mm -hmm. um but essentially like like, yeah and and it was the best part was like kind of like like when I flew over with the bike and all the gear to the Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris um and uh, my girlfriend and I, we we rode for about 10 days together and we put the bikes together in the airport. And there was like all these people that were on our flight and on other flights who were like, you know, they could have just gone home, but it felt like they were like getting like coffees and just watching this whole <laughs> of an operation because it took about like an hour and a half yeah. to put everything from sort of like flight mode back into um, into sort of riding mode. And then we normally at airports, um, the bigger terminals, you can step off a plane and then buy uh, like a SIM card for your phone right away. They just sell them everywhere. I mean, why <laughs> wouldn't you? Oh yeah. And, um, but this, this terminal um, was a smaller terminal, so there was nothing like that sold that stuff. And so we put our bikes together after about an hour and a half and then just started making our way towards the center of Paris, which, if you like, if you do such a thing on Google Maps, it'll tell you it only takes roughly about two hours to get there, and, and that took us about seven hours because oh. we had all the stuff and we had no map and we had no uh, no way of getting sort of like an online and and it's hard. I mean, even in Toronto, it's hard to find like a road map of Paris. I yeah. mean, why would you buy that yeah. um, in Toronto? And and you know, surprisingly, yeah, you just couldn't. And then if you try to find something in a gas station over there, I mean it's just not like detailed enough to really understand the smaller roads. But we figured it out and long story mm-hmm. short of that first day. But that's the thing I remember kind of the most about really stepping into the kind of you know, how real that was all gonna yeah. be.
0: And people don't realize that European cities have been there for a thousand years and yeah. and they all revolve around the church. So the church is usually the center of town. So if you want to get down to the center of town, not necessarily where all the cool kids hang out, you just go look for the steeple and head there. And that that's Absolutely. usually and all the all the all the roads do like a big circle. So when yeah. you when you do MapQuest back then it was MapQuest for us. Every time you did an intersection it would change road names but we didn't realize that if you look at the road there's like a yellow line, uh, a red line and a white yeah. line but those are the actual routes through the ring road routes through town. So if you just stay on that white line or whatever line it tells you to that you figure out which line is what, it'll take you exactly where you need. You don't need to worry about cuz you all next thing you know you're reversed your direction and you're completely facing the wrong way.
1: Absolutely, oh, yeah. I've been
0: lost so many times like, until we got a GPS, and then ah, oh, life was yeah, life was good. And
1: even that can still be convoluted sometimes.
0: Of course, if there's I, updates I with a- the road and whatnot. Yeah, and, yeah.
1: exactly. But uh, so it is like, a completely like, driving in North America versus in Europe, because I mean, as you know, is completely just oh yeah different. And mm-hmm. uh, and but I mean, like, I don't like. I could have done this. I think I could have done this like five years ago it would have been a lot harder, but I definitely could not have done that 10 years ago. There's oh, no way.
0: based on, did you do it? You must have done some conditioning, like some, and things like that. Or did you just say, well, screw it, I'll just ride my bike?
1: <laughs> no, so like what had happened was I had sort of worked out, like I'd been going over to Europe, I guess at that point, again, like probably seven different times, uh, maybe five or six. Mm-hmm. And so I'd kind of built up a network of friends and places that I'd played before and friends of friends. And I mean, through all the social media, uh networks i mean essentially built my own little network and when i was you know going through these places it wasn't hard to find people that were uh you know they could look online they could see what i was doing musically Mm -hmm. they could see that i had done stuff like this before and they were really really keen to like organize these things in their backyards in their uh houses um in art galleries and i was starting to really at the time i was really preferring to go um with the concept that I would be doing shows in intimate settings like that and, um, try to avoid a little bit of the more chattier cafe bars or or whatever, you know? And, um, so like putting it all together, I don't think it took took me very long. I mean, I think maybe I I was like 60 shows though, in like a hundred days. So I don't know. I don't remember how long it took me to do it, but I don't think it was like a massive undertaking. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the cycling, um, you know, was pretty easy. I would probably start not too, not even too early. I mean, like maybe around ten or twelve, when like noon, midday. Um, and I'd I'd kind of plan a cycle from around that time till about six, and sort of take my time with it. Or if I had to rush, you know, between two places, I'd have sort of that, you know, six hours is you can probably cover a good like easily 50 to if you had to about 70 kilometers in that
0: time <laughs> did you practice riding your bike when you were at home did you get any strength conditioning going not on really or?
1: That's i mean funny. it's one of those misconceptions i think a little bit too about it i mean it kind of it's such a slow build you know yeah. i mean it happened you kind of practice as you do it like it's not um again i mean the depending on the terrain if the terrain is, is fairly easy and I mean cycling in northern uh, Europe is is a dream. It's paradise mm-hmm. I mean, it's the roads are all lined for you. They're separated um, even in the cities um, Especially in the cities and also like in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the country I mean is in the smaller the in France they call it like, department roads and um, And they also call it like the national roads as well I mean, it's not the motorway obviously and but all those smaller ones um you know depending on bike maps you can buy that kind of help you pick the route or google maps has a, an excellent feature for bike cycling there just it just it basically allows it to it picks it for you based off of that so
0: that's very cool and you did one with on a train too right did you train tour
1: yeah i did um via rail the canadian um, passenger line um they have a program where you can um, singer songwriters and duos can um play concerts on the train uh if you you apply for it you apply you send in your you know uh preferred routing, uh and then they can decide if they want to confirm you for it or not um and i got to do this in 2011 i think Mm -hmm. it was like when i first put out um the ep i flew to san francisco i I did five shows in california and then i flew to vancouver because it was cheaper to fly that route than it was to just fly from toronto to vancouver yeah um and so i decided to go down the states and then um from vancouver to halifax it was uh, a combination of between going from um, the concerts on the train which took me from Winnipeg to Halifax, and the rest of it was done by, like, Greyhound bus. And um, you used to get... Uh, I don't know if you ever did any traveling by Greyhound, but you used to get this, like... you you pay, like, 400 bucks, maybe, and you would get um, the Greyhound, like, unlimited pass. So, essentially, you could go anywhere the Greyhound run in Canada for, like, 400 bucks, and if you did the, the cost savings, it was, like, a massive savings. Oh, yeah. They, but they stopped doing it because... Um, they're unorganized and can't figure out how many people are going to want to buy train tickets to their bus routes versus those passes. So that's what saw. Ah, it's thought.
0: That's a bummer. Sadly. So in Europe, did you do the trains are just so much more uh, civilized too in Europe?
1: Yeah. But if that's also, I mean, that's, that's a tough one, right? I mean, you th- I mean, with that much sort of dense population, I mean, they don't really have much, much choice, um, but it's true. Yeah. The trains are, they're excellent. Yeah. I mean, um, the The network is, um, is very, very detailed, and it goes everywhere, essentially. I mean, <clears throat> you, you know, they, they used to do, like, overnight trains. They still do? They re- well, they're cutting back some routes, though. I mean, you, yeah. you used to be able to go, I think, from, like, Paris to Rome overnight, and they don't, you can't do that anymore.
0: Really? Um, they had one from uh, Milan to um, Frankfurt that I was pricing instead of getting a van mm-hmm. in 2012.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. You can still do that. Um yeah. that overnight though? Or yeah. was that just a sleeper okay.
0: sleeper car? It was too expensive okay. though. Way too expensive.
1: Even if you're calculating saving hotels and everything, is that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, cuz you oh, could yeah. essentially do that drive in one um yeah. with a yeah, van, right. you know, and it was like yeah, the, I thought it'd be kind of neat and be kind of fun to do, but it just the money was just not happening for that (laughs) you know yeah yeah yeah
1: i mean it's like i i most of my touring in europe has has been by train and i got like pretty good at it to a point now where i think i've you know in the last year i've the owner of at least two to three discount cards that i bought like paid more money for but like yeah it's um it is really easy, and they kind of come in different flavors in a way, too. Like, there's sort of ones that are, like, super comfortable, fast express trains. And then there's ones, you know, right at the bottom of the line that are kind of just like a commuter train, like the GO train, or, you know, something that resembles almost like a subway in a way, or metro. metro. Uh, but they can stretch out pretty far, too. It's actually one of the things that I've – in my time sort of going over there, I can't believe that Toronto – doesn't have more overland trans transit like trains that kind of go overland yeah. between the city because that's everywhere in. in oh yeah, city. it's so. so
0: great too that you can get off a plane in Frankfurt, get on a train, be in Cologne in an hour. The train mm-hmm. does 267 kilometers an hour, and and it's just way more effective. I mean, I got off a plane in Milan, took a train into to to the town and ended up right at the town I was staying in by train. Yeah. Eventually, just came out and there they were. They're were waiting for me, you know. But yeah. took a two minute car ride. It's way more it's like civilized.
1: There's more like there's more connections between a big city like Milan and like some dinky country rural town mm-hmm. than there is between like Toronto and London, Ontario. Every yeah. day or something like that. You
0: know, like, it's not like we don't have the space either. I mean, no, it's,
1: or the people that yeah. could be around. Yeah. Like it's that. Uh, uh, I'm always curious about, I mean, again, like, I, I understand why there's not rapid express trains between, you know, Regina and like, and Winnipeg or something like that. But like, you know, to go from Quebec City to London, Ontario, I mean, there's a lot of people that live in the, the, the corridor in a way. And yeah. it's like, why not build yeah. some more infrastructure for that? Yeah. I don't know.
0: Well, England figured the problem out too because their trains were kind of windy, the the tracks. So they actually mm-hmm. made their high speed trains lean into the corners, which I thought was kind of neat. So you, yeah. you go around a tighter corner, but the thing sort of banks. It's okay. like pretty pretty awesome, but you can still get the yeah. speed up, you know. And like you're right, we need to do that. There's actually a friend of mine did a documentary called "Derailed: The National Dream." Dan Neistead, um, who who is actually on this podcast and he basically went through his documentary talking about how the trains have been privatized and they're just ripping up the iron and uh-huh. putting trucks on the road. So, because it was to them more effectively cheaper to do that. Sure. You know? Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know if, if, if you've been following anything about the Hyperloop. that, uh, there's a couple companies in, in the United States. I, I believe they're in the United States. There might be a couple foreign uh, outside of north america companies as well but the hyperloop um is something i'm pretty excited about and mm-hmm. elon musk is the guy who's doing that um that's that car tesla yeah the tesla of course i mean yeah. he uh he's sort of uh, put out some um some ideas for the hyperloop that could be a way of, of really bypassing all of that stuff i mean if you can move freight at 700 kilometers an hour you know, I mean, that's like I mean, that's kind of game over for tri- for for most roads, they're gonna build new and in most rails, especially rail. I think rail sadly is one of those things that's probably on the way out. Um, I mean, I love thinking about the future, predicting is mm-hmm. I think it's just so fascinating what what's gonna come up with with things like that. but but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that we're gonna see it in uh, like high speed trains or even probably too much more like city, intercity trains in North America, or especially Canada.
0: Well, yeah, we finally have a train that goes to the airport. It's... (laughs) That only took,
1: like, what? It's
0: like $80 or (laughs) something. Yeah. That's right. Congratulations, (laughs) Canada. We've done it now. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. You could like that's it. I mean, you could take one of those discount airlines in Europe and fly between like Dublin and yeah. like Morocco <laughs> for cheaper than it costs to go from like downtown Toronto to the airport on that that's thing.
0: Insanity. Yeah, Ryanair. You take ever take any Ryanairs?
1: I did. We like Dead Letter Department did a tour in Europe right in the Ryanair um, heyday, and when I mean the, I mean by that is like it was like just that kind of buzzing everyone took it they were so much more relaxed i mean now like if you like you know want to chew gum on the flight you got to pay a little bit more for that (laughs) like it's just so uh, absurd what their charges are but back then i mean we were taking guitars and and bags and um, i think only one time that they actually end up charging us a little bit more for sort of our luggage but those those flights were cheap i mean they were like which i couldn't believe you know you could fly like been like Glasgow and Sweden for like
0: twenty bucks or something, yeah. maybe thirty bucks. Yeah, so but there's yeah. So you can't check baggage. There was no checked baggage last time mm-hmm. I, I checked into it, uh, and and you can't even pay for checked baggage. So all your baggage <laughs> needs to fit in the in the overhead compartment like a yeah, like a, like a right. bus, you know.
1: Even, they don't even open those. <laughs> no like we're good.
0: Yeah, we can only put, we only put half the gas in it now cuz we don't need yeah. we don't need to put your stupid golf clubs and your stupid guitars and all that other crap I in think, there. We're good.
1: General, I mean, the rule of thumb I always tried to stick to now after that one tour that we did like I think we did something crazy like it was like seven different Ryanair connections, which is really crazy. I and mean, that's almost like we were there for like six weeks as well. Like, you know, like more than one a week and <laughs> Uh, and I I think it's one of those things that you do you do once and then you never do it again. Um, and you kind of have to do it once, though, because you in your mind you're trying to you're calculating how just how cheap it it appears mm. on the surface, but I mean absolutely when you dig into like um cost of just going from the center to the airports, I mean it's quite, quite it adds up a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, we used to do Air Transat. <clears throat> I don't even know. I
1: still fly with them. I still fly with them. Yeah. I, I, like, every flight, I've always done Transat. I can't. I mean, it is, like, it is the, like... But it's, like, 400 bucks, the difference. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, we were I mean, always on... trapped. Trapped <laughs> yeah. into Air Transat. Our very yeah. first time, we went over on Air Canada. And the very last time we went over, is, as a before... I mean, the second last time was on Air Canada. But the mm-hmm. second to last time we went over in, in July of two thousand and five and it was fourteen hundred dollars a seat per Jeez. person. Yeah. That's Air Canada. Air Canada, yeah.
1: Trans- One time I got a flight uh I think 580, five
0: eighty. That's what I paid once. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's what I got. Return. Yeah. That's
0: and the, crazy. They used to beat the remember um Flight Center, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to beat the cost, beat the actual like so if, if you found a better price online, they would match it. -hmm. Well, Transat put this flight up for five eighty or five forty, and and Flight Center had it for like six twenty, and I I took in a printout like it could have just been so (laughs) fake like a printout of the screenshot of the thing and look there it is and then oh oh we have to honor it there you go and yeah You
1: you never really see that anymore like companies like Price matching May i don't
0: know maybe i'm wrong i but, you know what i hate airlines now Like i think now everything is always about one ways that you can't do um, returns unless you buy two one ways now they've found out um, a new way to 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 not bundle to, you know <laughs>
1: piss you off just to find that to off, uh, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah i've done a few in canada over the past couple of years with this band and it's Mm. To the point now where the band actually I work for hires like another bass player and another guitar player over in the West coast and another keyboard player because it's cheaper for them to to hire these yeah, people to yeah. drive in from Vancouver than it is to fly everybody from Toronto, which well, is yeah. colossal pain in the ass as a tour manager, because you have now 14 people in your band, you know, that Yeah, you, <laughs> exactly. you're constantly, yeah. you know.
1: It's amazing. Like when you, when I started touring solo, like, it really felt like a vacation because mm-hmm. it was like, you know, it's it's you lose something you lose a massive part of this sort of um, camaraderie and 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 just you know, there's there's only um, There's only an experience that a band can have that's their their own completely their own mm-hmm. when they're on the road um, So when you're by yourself, I mean, it's it's like you, you don't really kind of have anyone to share any of that stuff with um, but but you get everything that you know, if there was only one thing for a band before, that's yours now. <laughs> there's no question. <laughs> like it a band. You know, if there's like, you know, like it could yeah. be anything. I mean, I'm I know that there's there's bands who will play big shows to, you know, a thousand people and they're still budding up to the, the tour manager in a in a hotel room. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to save money and it's like, Well, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I stay somewhere I'm by myself, like yeah. it's great. Um yeah. Yeah. And but yeah, so I, I can uh, I can imagine like you know trying to mobilize multiple multiple people. Like I mean, the cost involved with that is, is really high.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, have you ever thought about putting a band together and yeah, and doing definitely.
1: It? The yeah, ne- the new record that I made, I mean, is so much more of a band record that uh, it's you know, that next year I can do something small, maybe like a three week tour overseas, like over in Europe. Um, definitely going to do some release shows in uh, in and around um ontario quebec when the album comes out um i I don't know i like i would like to continue this project with the opportunity or the uh the option of being able to do it both ways i mean i think Mm -hmm. they're two different slightly different things um i mean the song I, i mean, a full band experience i mean it's really hard to beat that i mean when you go see a full band and someone's you know, slamming the drums and there's a guitar and it's you know, that's a guitar electric guitar. I mean, that's that's I don't know if, like it's really hard to beat that. But there's also kind of a a, a an intimate setting that you can do um, songs where people listen and you can talk about the songs and they really care about mm-hmm. what you have to say with those songs. And you can't get that in a club with, with you know, um, a band environment. I mean, there's just no way. It's just it never feels intimate enough to do that. So there's two things, and I, I feel like I've gotten kind of like, you know, if I can say so, like pretty good at, at doing sort of both of them. I can play in a band and make that a great show, and I can play solo and make that a great show, too. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to, to do both. That would be my dream with it.
0: Yeah, because you kind of uh, you kind of hoop yourself when you when you put a band together that you've sort of cut off your intimate Uh, backyard parties and kitchen parties to now having if you were to do both there would have to be an element of juggling between venues and Uh houses and i mean there's here's an idea you could do you could the promoter who's ever putting on your band show could put the the pre-show with you playing acoustic in his house
1: yeah yeah exactly or i mean there is kind of like you know abilities to do or you know you do the record store that day solo and it's it's cool and it's like something that um you know it's a little more casual um but yeah you're right i mean and i uh it's it's a weird thing i mean you always like when you do a solo project i think you always kind of want to go places with it um but when you're in a band i mean it's it's fantastic and it's hell at the same time yeah i mean you're you're always you know, you're dealing with like other people, at least one other person. And, uh, and that can be sometimes, I don't know how, I don't know how people who have like six or seven members in their band. Mm. cope. You know, I mean, that's crazy. Like, uh, there's just so much percentage room for error and just someone has a bad day and that just spreads. (laughs) Oh, you are
0: preaching to the choir, my friend, (laughs) as a flag Uh, bearer for all bands I've ever played in. It's very right. tough to keep morale up. It's very right. tough to keep everybody pointing in the right direction. It's very yeah. tough to make all these things decisions and not have to like the decisions you make are for you with your mm-hmm. your 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 agenda in mind. But when you put other Absolutely. people in your band, they have their own agenda so whether they want yeah. to come along for the ride, that's the agreement that has to be made before any plane tickets are purchased or any but For sure. Gets in a van because then I, you've entered a contract with these people, you know.
1: I feel like you almost kind of like bans You know, so, a friend of mine who uh, who's whose mother is um, a minister. She. Uh, she had this whole thing where she, she thought, you know, maybe they could like, there's like a business or just like a moral business and having couples do relationship therapy before they get married. Mm. And the idea was that you could, you could sort out, iron out all these problems before you actually go through the marriage cycle and just, um, you know, waste your family's money on a wedding. (laughs) (laughs) That's inevitably going to just turn into a divorce. But the, the thing is, is like, I think that you know in some ways that that would be a bad idea for bands as well is to really iron out all this stuff as you're kind of like building a band. I mean there's two bands that I think kind of work. There's the ones that are like out of high school who grew up together, yeah. who grow together. And then there's the band that's just of like uh, a hodgepodge of seasoned veterans that understand all the steps on the way. I mean the minute you get like somebody's never played in a band before and they just think they're either going to be famous or You know, they don't know what it's like. I mean, that's um, for the balance. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that's kind of like... Yeah. Like, what's the recipe there that sort of... Well, from experience, I've taken
0: people overseas as part of the band, you know, being an actual band, like we have pictures and we have an album and we have everybody played on the album and things like that. And, And we've still had to sit down the day either before we leave or the day we get there and say, okay... Here's the deal cuz we've toured with bands that we don't know as people and mm-hmm. and when you get four knuckleheads from Canada you kind of have to watch your behavior you have to sort of watch how you speak to other people you have to and mm-hmm. I do anyways but I feel that it's important that you have to tell the people in your band here's where what we're trying to deliver here and mm-hmm. on one particular tour I said to my my whole group of band members that I considered myself the leader you know mm-hmm. I said listen wait for them to make the first move if they want to you know smoke tons of pot on the bus or if they want to drink and fight people then that's what they're gonna do but we shouldn't we shouldn't be the ones that are troublemakers at first because we easily could be the troublemakers you know so let's tread lightly it's their house let's tread lightly on their bus and let them make the first move and then so that literally two hours later, we're at like a variety store. And then out walks a guitar player with two 40 ounces of Jack Daniels. <laughs> and I, and I remember <laughs> Al looking at me going, the first punch has been thrown. I'm like, Oh God, yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah, be, yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. be a party, you know? But yeah, I truly think that you have to lay it down and, and, and I've tried to lay it down, but there's still misconceptions, you know, like there is, you have to. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah.
0: It's, um, you should find a band over in Europe that are a band, and then they're already a band full of people that all know each other, and and, uh, you know.
1: I think that is kind of the way to do it. I mean, like, you almost find a band that's already gelling together, and then you kind of combine forces and do a tour that way, where, you know, either they're sort of headlining the show, or you're headlining and then they're kind of, you know, supporting it. So that way, it's like, that, I think that is kind of like the magic formula if if you're, you know, kind of doing it that way but i uh, it's true I, uh, when i think about the potential of putting together a band full of someone i met once <laughs> you know yeah. or like uh and then you're flying over you're doing this tour for three weeks um and y- y- you don't really know how the whole thing's gonna work i mean that has, that really makes me nervous when i think about it now like yeah um because i don't know i mean three weeks sounds like, to me, that's a long You're time. flipping
0: a coin. It could be yeah. amazing, everybody high-fiving and hugging, or it could be um, oh. get the hell out of our van, Rob.
1: That's you, right. You yeah. and your
0: acoustic guitar. Stop. I, do, I do think I've lost space. <laughs> Go, see you on the bicycle trail, Rob Moyer.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like it's a it's a funny thing playing in bands that way and traveling with people and mm-hmm. I mean and growing up and, and seeing people kind of do that too like uh, but that but as you know too I mean I'm sure you can test it. when was the first time you did a tour like when w- what year was that like uh, when you let, were you from Ash well I was from Pick-
0: Pickering area the first tour uh, I did with uh, Kingpin or turned into Trigger Happy was in 1990 1990. Wow! Yeah, so we drove. (laughs) We drove in an old rent-a-rack. That's
1: like almost the '80s.
0: Yeah, well, it's pretty close. Yeah, so we rented a a -a rent-a-rack minivan and drove to our first show in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just couldn't
1: uh, find someone in Des Moines. Nah,
0: we didn't know. You know, we knew we had a tour. We were actually on the first Down by Law tour. So that was all we we knew. Well, we're just going to go. We're going to open up for down by law. We had no idea that you could just book shows, you know, or Mm -hmm. get in touch Mm -hmm. with people. Obviously no internet. All they had was book your own fucking life. uh, Maximum rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. That's all they had for, you know, and I actually didn't find out about that until like a couple of years later when I was in red Fisher in Winnipeg that that existed. So we were, we were dead in the water.
1: (laughs) That's still around that magazine. I mean, I kind of used it more as a website. For, yeah, I don't um, think they
0: make prints anymore. I think it's all about. Does, it's all long do long they long. have? They must have the network of all the places to play, though, right? The book your own fucking life.
1: Oh, I'm curious. So I haven't. I mean, I haven't looked at, thought about that for a long time. Yeah, we'll check I it mean, out.
0: Uh, yeah, we. Met, mean,
1: now it's just a bunch of people's Facebook profiles.
0: Yeah, then there's no uh, real need for it bad. anymore. I mean, yeah. if there was, it'd be awesome because we met so many great people on that. Just using that magazine, uh, with stolen uh, phone cards and and like you know. Mm. So we would call people two weeks in advance, saying, "Hey, we're going to be in your town. Can we come play?" And
1: really, so so that's how like like quick you would do it, like in two weeks, you would just call somebody. Like, yeah. what if they weren't there? You'd have to wait wait a couple hours and call them again or something, right? Yeah, we even showed up
0: to play <laughs> a show and there was nobody there. They were on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> We show up at like, where was it? Like Sioux Falls or somewhere. Like we pull up and knocking on the door and like, and the neighbor's like, he's on, he's out camping or something like, what?
1: (laughs) What? No, we're here to play show. Yeah. Uh, I remember kind of like one of the very few, like right when the internet and email was really kind of spreading, I think the letter department. We did a tour in America in 2001 or two. That was kind of like the last memory of doing stuff down there. And I remember once we were in like in Alabama. There's two regrets, there's one that was like, There was a hat, like a trucker hat. Before, people wore trucker hats as a hip thing, and it just said Bama on it. And it was like three bucks, and I didn't buy it. Like, you know, so dumb, right? And then, like, um, but I remember the same sort of thing. Like, it was like we showed up at this guy's house, and he came out, and he said, I'm sorry, I lost my little book that had all my dates that I was supposed to do shows in it, and so there's no show. (laughs) No. <laughs> like, he had a little black book of, you know, dates that he oh. – anyways, but yeah. it was – I mean, back then, it, I mean, we were just, you know, incredibly excited to come back and tell our friends we went to Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it mattered that there was no show at all. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, those are those hilarious times for sure.
0: Yeah, and if you ever had some sort of van malfunction, it mm-hmm. would screw up your whole life. Like, you were you know, right. making phone calls to people saying – our van's screwed. Like, I blew, we yeah. blew a transmission in San Francisco in between Sacramento and San Francisco. Oh, and gosh. our guitar player, John, he had to call home and say, I need $1,200 because oh I need to put a new transmission in this van. And it was this guy Dave Sam's van that we just borrowed and
1: um oh, no. oh so you had to bring it back
0: yeah so we took yeah. it there and then on the same tour the fuel pump went which was like another three or four hundred dollars and we had to repair it in oh. dc we got it all the way back and a few other things like flat tires here and there and we get all back to winnipeg and um oh winnipeg band i can't remember what they're called um mark novak was in this band oh god it'll come to me but they took it on tour no problems. <laughs>
1: that's right.
0: Not one problem, and it was like you oh, mother
1: just luxed it up for them, right? Yeah, we fixed <laughs> like it. Yeah,
0: man. we basically put a new transmission, four new tires, a, f- yeah. a fuel pump, all the things that would go wrong oh, with the vehicle. You right. know, nothing short of a new engine. You know. Yeah. But um, yeah. Like, what do you? So where where do you prefer to tour? You've been to Australia. You've been everywhere. Name it. Like where where have been you?
1: Australia twice now too. Um. Uh, Australia's cool. Australia's like, um, like, well, first of all, for as far as transport, I mean, like, nobody really drives. Yeah, like even like bands, they just fly between the cities. Flying down there is pretty reasonable too. I mean, I think it's probably like a hundred bucks on mm-hmm. average to go between two cities one way. Um, and the first time I had a friend that um was booking tours down there, and you know, again, like just being a solo artist, it's not the biggest risk, you know, and in Australia, like you could play a couple shows and they would pay well and you could kind of make your flight back and, you know, maybe five or six shows down there mm-hmm. and, uh, and then you sort of bide your time. Um, uh, but I don't know, like it's, I would say, you know, as far as favorites, I mean, I, I don't know, I really want to go back to touring the United States because that was kind of the first place that I did my solo project my solo show outside of my own city Mm -hmm. and when i went down to san francisco and i played um four shows in the bay area then i played la and then i flew up vancouver and that was the first time i saw it working and um in an audience that you know who didn't know me didn't have to buy records um and had didn't have anything, any obligation, except for it to sort of tell me what they thought about it. And so I really want to go back down there in a way after I have sort of spent as much time as I have in Europe. Europe is great. It's been very good to me. Um, uh, Germany, especially, you know, Germany, Austria, I think are probably the, maybe the two, I don't know, places it works maybe the best. Um, but I've also had some really good shows and some pretty, um, you know, uh, off beaten path places you know small villages in france and mm-hmm. you know it's just there's sometimes like it's just about um, a setting you know if like if people are there they're they want to see a show i mean it depends on like if you're showing up a place that has concerts every night of the week and there's there's an audience that knows music happens but they're sort of like burnt out from it it's fickle. that's you know that's a hard thing to kind of turn over i mean yeah. um But it's amazing if you took the same amount of people and you just brought them into someone's living room and lit some candles, how much that can transform into like, you know, if they close their eyes, it's almost like you could be in like a small theater in a way, or um, it's just totally different.
0: Yeah, you have what's called a captive audience. They want to be there. They're into the happening that there's something happening in their living room. And they're very appreciative, I would imagine, to the fact yeah, that totally. you know, because if you go play a show downtown somewhere at some rock club somewhere, it's not always met with. Well, Europe's different because they think you're from another. They they know you're from another country and they appreciate you more than say if you're playing downtown Toronto or something like that. So,
1: I think, yeah, that that might be the way it works. Like I, I think that that's why bands and artists sort of need to to go. Outside of their familiar settings, is because I mean it's amazing how much an audience member I believe like will actually pay attention if they're kind of like sold into something that's a little bit more unique than what they think is going to happen. Sure. I mean that same artist like um, uh, I don't know I mean I can't, I'm I'm like really thankful in a way that I sort of grew up playing uh, music in Toronto because Toronto's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean they've seen everything all the time whenever they want and so it kind of makes you a better performer in my mind and so when you kind of take that ethic and you go to some other places that don't get a lot of music then it really works i think Mm -hmm. and it can really be special um but yeah i mean it's i don't know it's, it's hard to say like favorites i mean there's definitely countries and situations that are a lot more comfortable um but then you know i could do a tour in the uk where I think that it goes over well, but I mean, no one wants to give you anything. You know, and, yes. like you play bars and they're like, yeah, well, I know we're surrounded in beer, but you can't have one.
0: <laughs> so you yes. pay like
1: the full price for it. Here's it your matter. five
0: pounds and your six pack of beer for all four of you. Exactly. You know, have, have it doesn't fun. matter how
1: many people you brought in here to drink at full price as well, but you yeah. get nothing.
0: <laughs> I tell you though, I've done tours. I've done a few tours in England. One was a really kind of a big one uh, opening for some 41. And mm-hmm. that was the only time that a promoter actually were really, like treated us with like any sort of dignity. And we've been over there once before with 10 Foot Pole playing mm-hmm. obviously smaller places and it was, it was like, get us back to Germany now. Like, we yeah, need to yeah, get yeah. out of here. We're never coming back, you know. And I heard stories from even bands like The Weaker Thans, who were like, <laughs> you know, selling hundreds of thousands of records yeah, yeah. worldwide, saying, we hate England, you know, yeah, we until the last two albums, when finally people start going, oh, okay, you're all right, yeah. you know. But yeah. British are generally, you know, speaking as one, a little a little apathetic you know
1: a little, little i mean it's a weird thing <laughs> like i i um i remember that that letter apartment we did a tour with a band from france where one of those things where you jump in a van like a a 12-seater van or something and we went to england for the first time and played shows there and like we didn't, we were kind of used to you know North America where you can kind of get a little bit, but you're not getting tons. And in England, we just got nothing. We were, so we weren't like that far away from it. But those guys from France, where we used to like being the local band showing up, and there's a caterer for the <laughs> local film. <show. laughs> yeah, you know, they were just like so bummed out. Yeah. <laughs> No one wants to get, do anything yeah. for
0: us. You were like, oh, this is kind of normal. I can get into this. You <laughs> yeah, know?
1: it's not that far away. From, yeah, from this is kind
0: of normal. I mean, when we were going to, when we were in Germany, people were just like, oh, my God, so nice and friendly and and tell yeah. you exactly what they felt about you and your band. Yes. No filters, you know. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, the world, like, there'd be... Yeah. Like, you'd get punched in the face more if you just spoke outwardly, like, exactly yeah. how you felt, you know? Like, yeah. But definitely the world would be, like, on a plane that was like, oh, okay, exactly, exactly. Right.
1: I mean, it is funny because, like, you know, if you think about everyone has different music tastes and, um, you know, so what, whatever you do as an artist, whatever you do as a songwriter i mean you know you're just gonna find an audience for it you hope and then there's gonna be people that are gonna be kind of indifferent and there's some people that just downright like they're like this is not my thing at all like i just stop you know like there's you know songwriters that i visualize that have you know that play that kind of finger tapping and it's songs about like you know just that kind of like hippie love um like Just like, I don't, you know, and I I just watch it and I just like, it curdles me, but I would probably never say anything about how I didn't like it. (laughs) But I mean, there's like, you know, like there, but then it's true. Like, if you're playing in a place like Germany, like, so like, and I'll do something that I think is kind of like a different direction from what I just described. And there's probably someone who just wants the, like the hippie dreadlock guy doing the finger tapping and they see me and they're like, oh, I fucking hate this. I'm going to kind of tell them I hate it.
0: Like, it's like, do them a favor.
1: yeah, like you know, I'm just gonna just gonna tell him. Like it's like, oh, uh, you know, yeah. like
0: yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've yeah. had it. I've had like a a German fella come up to me saying, "That first song you played was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. You're really old. Like stuff like you know." Yeah, you're really old. Thank you. <laughs> You know, But then you'll say, like, I listened to the whole set and I really liked the third song, you know, or yeah, something. It's, they'll it's they'll like, give you something, you know, to sort of yeah. feel like you've vindicated the reason why you've traveled 6,000 kilometers on a plane yeah. and stayed up all night doing that. to yeah. They give you like a little hint of uh, you know hope. But they'll it let is, you know, man. It's crazy.
1: I prefer it. I'll be honest. I, I think, think
0: it's funny start. because... <laughs> There's yeah I I, I laugh at it. You, you what are you going to say like to this person who can be completely honest with you yeah yeah, yeah. So you recorded a new album huh I
1: Did yeah. yeah Yeah How many songs uh, there's going to be 10 songs 10 songs There's going to be two for two bonus songs for the European version though
0: Okay so you did it where at Phase 1 huh uh,
1: we did it at um yeah we did did 3 days at Phase 1 and uh, and then we went to kind of like some sort of um, smaller studios to do things like vocals and uh, lots of tambourine. <laughs> <gasps> what? Sorry, we're, Don't we're you know? Uh, I play a mean tambourine. Uh, so what we did with this one, which, um, like, I really, I, well, there's two things. I mean, one, I, I thought maybe um, I was going to make a record in Europe. I thought that, Um, I was gonna stay for a month, take it easy, and then go back to touring because when I was thinking about that I was really in the midst of how much I love doing these tours and I still really do but um, So that was kind of the original that was one plan and then um, As I was going through the motions of being over there for month after month I realized I was like fuck this. (laughs) This is like crazy to spend a whole other couple months here and it was just sort of time to go home and and Um, So we did, I wanted to go somewhere that was going to be able to facilitate recording a band completely like playing at the same time and isolating everything and going somewhere that just I felt like was going to have like really good gear and be able to do that and so that's what we did with phase one, Uh, wonderful experience, fantastic, Uh, we all really really enjoy it, The, the record sounds amazing and that's what we did, we recorded all the guitars, all the bass, drums and scratch track and um it was essentially done live off the floor with pretty minimum overdubs and uh it worked out yeah it worked out really great i mean like i think in general like for 10 songs maybe we spent seven days tops tracking you know yeah overall. that's very cool that sounds great i don't know what what else we would have done to it you know what i mean yeah. to make it any difference so
0: yeah
1: um but yeah so that's what's happening next
0: and it's coming out when August 21st holy crap you kind of just started that when in May or something right when did you start <laughs> yeah
1: like... <laughs> it started uh, a whole month after I, I landed mm-hmm. and so we had to uh, Michael Blanc who's been playing pants with me forever that you recorded as well mm-hmm. uh, he he waited until like a couple weeks before I was coming home to tell me, that he was uh, going to be a father for the second time and that the due date was like June 4th or something. Oh wow. And so we I cuz I thought we were going to have I was like going to be great. We're going to have all the month of June to record and like all the month of May and April to kind of gear up and re- finish writing and practice and it was like no, this needs to be recorded in like 4 weeks. Mm-hmm. So it was a little kind of stressful at first, but it it ended up being just just perfect. Okay, like, I, I wouldn't change a thing.
0: Yeah, sometimes you put yourself on a deadline and you you're not going to dilly-dally. Definitely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Definitely. yeah. I mean, uh, I don't I don't understand how bands spend weeks and weeks and months and months now. I mean, maybe I'm just uh I mean, maybe that was a time that labels that would, you know, pay for that just had so much more money and bands would literally just I couldn't imagine like going with a studio that costs like 1000 to like $3000 a day. And you're writing <laughs> in a yeah. studio. Like, that seems preposterous to me, but uh...
0: I've only been on a deadline once for recording my own album, and that was six weeks. And that still felt like, wow. and we had to write four songs. So, wow. <laughs> so that, that was pretty scary, too, because really going into it with like, uh, yeah, four or five songs written, like without vocals, like without words. Yeah. And, and then having to fully write four or five more songs to make an album that was pretty scary pretty hectic but in hindsight it was my favorite one so because really? there was we actually overcame the uh there's other people in man might might give you a different story but to me we overcame something like we met a deadline we did exactly what everybody asked us to do we didn't let yeah. anybody down you know that's all about being working with labels you just don't want to let anybody down
1: sure yeah <laughs> you yeah. know you don't want to yeah no that's true i mean i i also feel too like i've been kind of lucky that i mean i do the people that i work with i think i mean i know they they really believe in what i'm doing and they they like what i'm doing i mean we've had nothing but get things all around the recordings we've done thus far but i mean i also think too it's like i don't i mean i don't know if too many labels would sort of take a chance on like what i was doing originally if i hadn't kind of committed to like the amount of touring i was doing mm-hmm. because like i'd sell um you know if you look at like what those tours were doing, like towards, you know, the end of every year. And I was still like a decent amount of records. I mean, Mm -hmm. something that like, because they, all those shows, they just added up. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, um, I mean, I can't say like a hundred percent, but I mean, I know that the record labels, the ones that I still started to technically owe money to, like recoup to, it's not like an insane amount of money or anything. Like it's actually, there's sort of a, a, you know, I'm one of those artists because of how much I play, like, kind of recoups you know it's on a it's on a positive track of recouping
0: not yeah you haven't plus you haven't stretched the uh their bank because you know you no. are you know you are making an investment not just with money but with time for having to actually go out and <clears throat> yeah play shows and you know and the exciting part about it is that you're kind of inventing we're kind of doing old but new again yeah. and and that that to me is something that i i find that is pretty darn cool and um Yeah. So you're, are you still doing some summer shows?
1: A little bit. I mean, like it's, uh, now it's sort of more like there's a European book tour being booked for with a release. And then we're starting to put together, you know, just some, um, full band shows for mostly like late summer. I think it's kind of at a point now where we just want to gear up to like what's going to be the next record and, right, kind of putting everything together for that. Um, I did a couple things like when I got back. I, um, I opened for Anti Flag uh, at a, the, well, it was at the Bovine, so small mm-hmm. plays, um, and I got asked to do that, like, you know, like six days before, and it was one of their sort of underplays, uh, new record for them, um, playing a, you know, small punk club type thing, and, you know, opening up for that, I was kind of like, I went into that pretty nervous, because, I mean, you know, it's one thing kind of like winning over the, the nice, polite, you know, like folk appreciating crowd. Yeah, <laughs> like that's kind of, you know, people don't. I don't know. It feels a little safer, but I mean, that that show with Anti fight was just great. I mean, yeah, the yeah. I
0: think that. you'll find that the punk crowds are very accepting of something that isn't poser punk. You know, mm, you yeah. know, which is it's good. You're doing something. I, mean, I always thought. I always appreciated the weaker than's how fearless they were, playing mm. big, weird, crazy festivals, punk festivals coming out as The Weaker Dance, you know, like, they had... That is incredible, That yeah. is a pretty amazing feat, you know, and, you, you know, you're kind of doing the same thing, you know, at the same time, you're you're, you're sort yeah. of developing the same idea and ideals, and I think punk rock is more about, you know, what you do, not what you play, so, you know...
1: Completely. I, I remember reading this article once, John K. Sampson of The Weaker Dance, and I think it might have been, like, a European press or something... Because I guess they had, I don't, are they still working? Is this, really. Are they still on Epitaph or are they on a different? I think they're oh, on
0: Epitaph, but I don't think they're they're doing much of anything anymore.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I guess at that time it was like, I don't know, probably like early 2000s. And I don't think Epitaph ever kind of released a record that was like that. I mean, they mostly did punk they were kind of doing some harder, like hardcore and some, I don't know. I don't I can't yeah. think of anything that was on Epitaph that was really, you know what I mean. Like there was like a singer songwriter yeah. song on an album they put out, mm-hmm. and I remember this interviewer. The quote of it was like, you know, it was like a surprise to sort of. It was a nice surprise to see that was the affiliation was with something that could work within it, but it was still, yeah, yeah a lot different. So
0: yeah, well, that's credit to Brett Gurowitz too, because he he likes what he likes, and mm-hmm. he'll he'll fight to the death for what he likes. He also. Mm, yeah. I was trying to get in touch with you about doing some some uh, some um, uh, living room shows with members of this band Ruth Ruth who are also on Epitaph. Oh, that's what you're asking. Yeah, me, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, still. Where, are they from? are from, F- from Jersey and a bit oh, in okay. been in New York and they're from uh, yeah parts of, par, parts of New Jersey. Um, great yeah. guys. I've never met them and you know and I I remember getting their. The little death EP off Epitaph, and it just changed my life. It's a great album, mm. amazing album. I can't mm. say enough good things about it. But I also can't say enough good things about you, Rob. There's a segue. See that? That's good. Good that's, radio. That's, that's good. Nice. That's pretty good, eh? Can
1: <laughs> I type that up somewhere?
0: Yeah. Speaking <laughs> about you and your rock and roll. No, we should uh, we should zip this up because uh, I don't want to take your time. And uh, thanks a lot for doing this, man. No,
1: my pleasure, Simon. Thank you so much. Okay. It's great, and I Loved cool. it.
0: Wasn't he great? Yes, he was. My friend Rob Moyer. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thanks to going to iTunes. Thanks for rating and reviewing. Thanks for telling friend. Also, I forgot to mention this, but go to Amazon through that banner on the Applelog.ca Bookmark it and shop knowing every with every intention that you're helping this show out. That's very cool. Thank you so much what do we got next week, next week? I'm not sure who we got next week. Uh, To be honest, I was a little bit uh, lazy with getting interviews together. I've been trying to get a few people on board, and it's been very tricky. I do have a couple of Alan Nolan episodes. Uh, Alan Nolan is the singer of the infamous punk rock band called Trigger Happy, a band that I played in in the early 90s. Uh, Maybe I'll put that out one of them, because I have two. I have one where we we did it in his house, and then one where we did it in the car driving back from Hamilton. About a month ago now. That was fun. Regardless, you're going to get an episode on Monday, okay? So everybody, don't freak out. Don't freak out! What's going on next week? Next week, I am doing some shows. You could probably come see me um, opening up for Face to Face on August 1st. You can do that at the... Hardluck Bar, I believe. I don't know. Somewhere. Uh, Wherever Face to Face is playing. Fairmount's is playing on August 1st. Go see them. Also, you can go see me opening up for SNFU on... Yeah, you'll miss it. Never mind. Ignore that. August 1st. Come see Fairmount's open for Face to Face. That'll be fun. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the great feedback I'm getting from you people. I like the fact that podcasting is still alive and well and it's still legal and no one's getting in trouble for saying F-bombs and things like that. I'll see you next week. I'll be here. Bye.